Welcome to Micah Bradford Connected, where we bring together hope and information to help support your life. Join us on this journey in connecting the dots and finding answers to your most challenging health issues. So, let's connect, where no topic is off limits. Common interests prevail, but opinions don't always align. This is Micah Bradford Connected. Welcome to Connected, and I'm Micah Bradford, your host for today. Today, I have the privilege and honor to welcome Tanya Alexander as our guest. And Tanya is not just a featured guest, she is my mom. She's one of the main reasons that I've had the ability to see beyond my circumstance and be inspired to be driven to work hard, to never give up, and in the midst of chaos, not lose my mind. I'm excited to share her with you all today because her journey is something that is just short of monumental. Her journey starts as a child with health issues that were were chronic and unexpected, and her journey progresses through her adult life with various health conditions until adulthood, where she had experienced ongoing health issues that could never be identified, that were never given specific medical diagnoses, that took her on a long and painful journey of not only misdiagnosis, but lack, void of diagnoses, that stretched her emotionally, physically, and mentally, where she was put in a position of being told it was all in her head which led to the journey of looking for alternative therapies and alternative medical interventions and physicians, which is thankfully one of the blessings that I was given from her journey because I was introduced to nutrition and nutraceuticals and and alternative testing like the hair analysis and a plethora of other things that I would have never been exposed to. And in the end through her journey, It brought her back to traditional allopathic medicine when we couldn't find the answer. We couldn't find the solution that led to her time being prescribed opioids. And opioids were something that ended up insidiously being all-consuming. And in her search for answers, her search for hope, she turned to those under the guidance of her physicians wanting to just be relieved of pain. And thankfully, her story ends in victory and accomplishment where she was able to break the chains that those medications had put and bound her life with to be able to be the person that's victorious today with a sound mind, still some struggles physically. But in this first part of a multi-part series, we're going to discuss the health conditions that she recalls when we started this journey when she was a child. And the purpose today that I wanna focus on with her is that I know so many adults and so many teenagers and so many people that are hurting, that are chronically ill, that in their journey, they have either been dismissed or if the one practitioner they saw didn't see it, didn't know what to call it, didn't know how to find it, that they were left empty-handed. I've seen through my daughter's diagnosis of Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome and POTS, which is 
postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome. I've seen teenagers across the world who are ill, who are gravely sick, that have so many pains and are consistently told there's nothing wrong with them. When in reality, we have found physiological, biological causations that contributed comorbidities that we could relieve. So today I'm excited to share with you all, not only somebody who I look up to and thank the Lord for every day, because if it wasn't witnessing her struggles, her circumstances and her triumphs, I would have been left compassless. I wouldn't have known the things to look for. So with no further ado, I am happy to introduce all of you to my mom, Tanya Alexander, as we start the first part with series one of her journey of how her life began and what the circumstances looked like as a child. Hi, darling. Glad to be here. I hope that the one thing that comes out of this, there were so many times I was hopeless and, you know, you think about giving up and you don't know what tomorrow brings, so keep the hope and keep searching to find answers, and sometimes you find them in places you don't expect to, and um, it's a journey. Just don't give up, and just because somebody else doesn't understand or doesn't see or can't see, that doesn't mean it's not real. So you have to continue the journey and just keep trying. Don't give up. There are answers out there. Some of them are wrong. Some of them are right. We've tried a lot of things that didn't work and several things that did. So the lesson that I've learned is to keep my faith in God. God got me through all of it and to have hope because you don't know what tomorrow brings. So what, when you look back, and I, I know the stories that I recall from our conversations when you were a child, but tell me a little bit about what it looked like. What were your first recollections of any kind of health issue whatsoever in your life? My first was um, I was diagnosed at birth or near then with a hole in my heart. And back, I was born in 1952, so back then it was huge. I think my mother was told, don't allow me to cry for three months. Can you imagine? with a baby. No. But my first recollections are at the Minneapolis St. Paul Heart Hospital, going there and having heart catheterizations done. And I'll never forget the doctor's name, Dr. Ward. Ward or Warden? Sorry, I guess I did forget. <laughs> anyway. Okay. And um, he was amazing. And I remember one time, it was really traumatic for me as a kiddo. They, they kept talking about doing open heart surgery. And there was a little girl in my room, and she would, we didn't speak the same language, but we played together. And she had open-heart surgery, and she didn't come back. She didn't survive. Hers was worse, but, you know, and, and this all happened, um, I think my last heart cath was in 1959, so I was a, a young child. And when she didn't come back, I went, Mom, I don't want to have, have open-heart surgery, you know. But those are my first recollections being at the hospital and seeing all these children with all these issues and it's scary so then you know i had to be careful don't if anybody got strep throat i had i couldn't go near them had to have antibiotics immediately 
we lived in Illinois. My mom, even when it was warm, kept me bundled up like a little polar bear because she was terrified that, you know, they kept saying if she gets sick, infection could go to her heart, she could die. And, you know, even when my kids got strep throat, man, they put me on antibiotics too. And now I'm allergic to penicillin because, you know, I was given it so much because they, they just didn't know what else to do. And I, I don't remember any natural things back then. I'm sure they were there, but, you know, we weren't introduced to them. I didn't find out about alternative things until I was an adult. Yeah, because so. now if that was the case, then you would look at proactively supporting someone's immune system with exactly. like vitamin D and elderberry and vitamin Which C. Which I do, I do right now. Right, yeah. right. Yeah, exactly. So you know how to to be on the proactive side instead of a, def- a defense. Oh, no, it's here. Now I have to deal React. with it. Yeah, so exactly. I'm, not, I'm not reacting as much. And overall, I'm healthy. I'm 67, and um, overall, I'm really, really... I mean, I think for my age and what I've been through and all the issues I've had, I am just the epitome of health. So if that was when you were five, seven, yeah. in that time frame, what did it look like after that? And then when was the next circumstance that was significant that you recall where your your health took a, a hit? You know, there were, there were, because of the hole in my heart, there were bouts ongoing with all these different things, but really, I had, I didn't really have any big issues with that. Then, when I got into high school, I started having back pain, and we went to all these doctors, and finally, I think there was an arthritis clinic in Oklahoma that dealt with arthritis, and we went up there. And they said I had rheumatoid arthritis, so they gave me all the drugs that go along with that. Yeah, and um, it didn't help. So by then, I was out of high school, and the back pain was off and on. Um, Had my kids, and thank goodness, no problems with my heart with that. You know, I was just a champ. It was easy peasy, so I was thankful for that. And then... I was at work one day, and all of a sudden, the door hit me, and it hit my lower back. And from then on, it was constant pain, constant. And the doctors did all these x-rays. I can't tell you how many doctors I went to, and they said, there's nothing wrong. There's not, We don't see anything. And they didn't. In their fairness to them, they saw nothing. You know, And they didn't want to give medication because they couldn't see anything. They thought, oh, it's in her head. So I was told, go see a psychologist, psychiatrist. So it even made me doubt myself. And I thought, well, maybe it is in my head. And then the farther I went on, I went, it is not in my head. It's in my lower back. I've shown the same spot to all the doctors ever since it was bad. And, and that, I can't even imagine, that had to have been such a struggle. And how old were you? I try, I'm trying to think back um, from when it was. I, I know I was in middle school it was it was in the um probably 83 84 is when it really became um where it was just hard to function you know hard to go to work hard couldn't sleep at night you know and of course you know that affects everybody and everything because if you don't sleep and you're in pain it's not an excuse but you're on edge more and so here I'm, i'm seeing these doctors 
they're all saying the same thing. We don't see anything. We don't see anything. And I went and saw D.O. And she said, I don't see anything. I tried TENS machines, you know, you name it. I had tried everything. And for our listeners who don't know, a TENS machine is an external um, device that you put electrodes on the body and it stimulates. And so some of you may have used one or if you went to a chiropractor, they may have put one on you. But it's supposed to help stimulate the muscle and even, I would assume, to some cellular level endorphins just from the conductivity of where it's placed. It, it never worked. All I got were blisters on my back because I kept turning it up to go, maybe it's going to help. Maybe it's going to help. So my whole lower back was just covered in sores from trying to move it to a spot that helped. Now, let me ask you a question. For some reason, I'm recalling, was part of it, too, that you had a reaction to the pads? No, that was when I had to have the, I had a reaction to foam pads when I had to have the subcutaneous mastectomy. That okay. is when... We found out I was allergic to Okay, I couldn't remember. Yeah. But so if we're looking in the early 80s, mm-hmm. and because I'm thinking that that was middle school yep. for me, or just yep. starting middle school. Yeah. And I know as a, a preteen and as a teenager, from the perspective for any of you that had parents with, with chronic health issues, I know it was hard. I remembered... Saturdays and Sundays that you would be on the couch reading because it was really all you could do. You you worked during the week, which was amazing. And I think that that was part also that helped keep your sanity, correct? Because you, you always were so good with people and you lit up and just the interacting and supporting people was your kind of thing. Well, when we moved to where we did when you were that age, we really took on a pretty big mortgage because we thought great schools, great neighborhood. We want to give these kids the very best we can. And so at that point, there was I had to work. It didn't matter. And it was such a struggle, but I had to do it because we wanted you and Ryan to be in the school district, live in the area. So it was something that we'd made the choice. Of course, we had no idea what was, you know, you don't know what's coming down the road. So I had to do it. And then on weekends, I felt so bad because there was so much that I missed out on with you guys because I pushed so hard to make it through work during the week that I really had almost nothing left on the weekend. It was just, it was all I could do. I can't even imagine. And it was hard on you. you. You struggled because you wanted your mama there. It just, it hurt. It's really hard. You know, when you see your kids needing you and you really can't do it. And I don't think you really understood till you were an adult and you said, oh, mom, I get it now, you know, which I felt so bad about. I didn't ever want you to understand that. Oh, yeah. No, I I came to learn and appreciate uh, what you've done and how you persevered because just going through the journey and the walk with the health issues that my own children have had. And I'm very thankful that that I've been able to maintain good health to this point. And I've also been very uh, proactive and decisive on the things I do and don't do um, from what I eat to what I drink to what I don't drink and what I don't eat uh, and what what medications I do take and what medications I won't take. So there are a lot of variables that I feel like I learned from that, but I can't imagine seeing as many specialists as you saw 
So your back's hurting, the TENS machine's not working. At what point did you start looking at the, the herbs and alternative solutions? Well, we started looking at alternatives <clears throat> because it was clear that regular medicine, for whatever reason, the training, that the equipment, they didn't show anything. So, I mean, they were doing the best they could, but, and I understand on their side, what could they do? They deal with so many people that just want medication and that may or may not have something wrong with them or do have psychological problems. So it was just hard. So we went to Dio's, Doctor of Osteopathic Medicine, and this doctor did a thermogram. And I went, what? Because, I, man, I was pretty familiar with all the tests, you know. We'd had so many scans, man, I felt like I was irradiated, you know, or they would glow in the dark. But she said, a thermogram. And I said, well, what is that? And she said, well, it's hotter in your body where your pain is. So she said, the, the problem is you can't take any pain meds, nothing, for 24 hours. And, and it was a really rough 24 hours. And sure enough, the same place I'd pointed my finger all these years, it was bright red. And she said, well, I see your pain, but I have no idea why. And even after we had some proof, she was still real hesitant. I did steroid shots. And um, it ate holes in my flesh, you know, where it, anyway. And she said, well, if, if you don't cry, I'm not hitting the right spot. And so when I first started getting them, she just came in and went, you know, stabbed that needle in until I was crying or screaming. And um, that to me is very concerning. I mean, I can understand different methodologies and, and getting feedback from a patient. But I think I would have, short of clocking somebody and slapping them upside the head, that, I mean, and maybe there's logic in it, but it just as a layperson, I'm thinking, if I had gone through years of pain, and, and I guess at the same time, you were thankful. You're desperate. Right, you're desperate. You're thankful. You, all you can think of is, I want to find a way, I want to get my life back. I want to find a way to make it stop. And at that point, what I didn't realize is, I wasn't going to get my life back, not in the, in the same way, but you still have a life. You mm -hmm. still have a life. My whole focus was, I just want to get my life back. I just want to be normal. I just want all this to go away. And so I was desperate. And we did lots of shots, lots of steroid shots. Later, they started sedating a little bit before they did them. You know, the technology and how they did it progressed, so it wasn't quite so archaic. And they never helped. But I was so desperate, I kept going because I was just, please, God, show me something that's going to work. And then when those didn't work, then she did surgery, this doctor did surgery, and implanted wires on my spine. I still have the wires on my spine. They can never come out because I could be paralyzed if they take them extra scar tissue in. And then the wires came around my side. They're still there to my stomach. And I spent a week in the hospital like that. And they kept trying to adjust the machine. But I was in so much pain from the surgery. You couldn't really tell if it was working or not. So they went ahead and, and did another surgery and put the machine in my stomach. And I tried that. And um, Now let me ask a question. And so that was basically like a TENS machine that they implanted, basically. Yeah, basically it is. To stimulate directly yes. to the nerves. And I had a little thing that I could put on my stomach to turn it off and on, but mine was never off. 
and I could adjust it to some degree, but basically you had to go to the doctor's office for them to make any big adjustments on it. So at one point, I recall that you were you were so desperate for solutions and answers that you had your spine or back fused. Now, was this, had this That was later. Yet? That okay. was later. Okay, so go ahead. So you did the TENS machine, the implants, didn't, and... Didn't work. Okay. I kept trying and trying, and uh, it did not work. And you're still with the same doctor at this still, point? Still with the same doctor. And then my husband at the time, he's colorblind, so I was getting his suits ready. Well, in, in all of this, I had developed a bladder disease, interstitial cystitis, which is a nightmare. It's like it's an autoimmune disease, and your body thinks the lining of your bladder is bad. And so my bladder was on fire 24-7. I couldn't go to the restroom. We started going to Scott and White for treatments of DMSO. They put it in, and you had to hold it for 30 minutes, and it was really a nightmare. It just seems like one thing after another, but after all that started, then I was getting my ex-husband ready to go on a trip, and I backed into the doorknob, and I hit the spot where it's so sore, and I fell to the ground, and it was like white light. I couldn't even breathe. It hurt so bad. It was scary, so thank goodness he was still there, canceled his trip, took me to the doctor, and they did an x-ray, and they said... They called me back and they said, you broke a bone in your back. And we were so excited. We were screaming, yes, 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 because it was the right spot. So this same doctor did surgery. And she said the bone was so thin, it it was bending the whole time. And that's why nobody saw what the problem was. It really wasn't supporting my back. And so it was causing issues. So she removed the bone and sadly removed too much bone. And then it was worse than what it was before. And so I went from a DO to an MD, and he said, we need to fuse it. So then we went through the fusion. And as far as years, I don't remember exactly. But basically, he fused my lower back, and I was hopeful that at least this would make a difference. But it really didn't. And at that point, he said, we are not going to give you any pain medicine because as far as we're concerned, you're fixed. And, you know, I get from his perspective, I was, but the pain kept on and on and on. My ex-husband was in sales. Uh, There was a trip to Hawaii, and my bladder was so bad that I couldn't make the trip. And so I said, well, you just go, because he'd earned it. And um, a friend told me about this herb store. And I went in, and the owner said, "Uh, let's do a hair analysis and let's just do muscle testing. It was like hoodoo voodoo to me at the time. But I had tried everything else, and I was just desperate. Well, the hair analysis came back, and she said, okay, you need to, I forget what, I, what she told me to take, but I did. I made that trip. I still didn't feel good. My back was sore. But my ex-husband had traveled enough. We could travel first class, which made it, I could lay back and prop my knees up, and it could be a little bit more comfortable. So I made the trip, and I was so excited because the urologist, nobody had been able to help me. Um, I'd gone in for all kinds of things with the urologist. And so made the trip, and that was exciting because then I had a handle, on, at least on my bladder. At least that part was better. My back was always consistent. Then we started going to these pain doctors, and a lot of them went back to, it's in your head. You've had this done. There's nothing wrong. 
And by that point, I was pretty militant about don't tell me it's in my head. Just because you don't know what's wrong, don't tell me it is in my head. And I think that that, to me, is something that's so important because I go back to the scenarios like with, with Madeline when for two years she was homebound and having the tremors and at 15 having to use a walker. And thankfully, I had a, a great team of doctors and we collaboratively worked together and by the grace of God identified some things that metabolically, metabolomically were contributing to her circumstances uh, to where the saline and her sodium chloride levels and, and many things that were adjusted made a significant difference in her life. But I think about your circumstance and how you were an adult and you were able to communicate, you were able to advocate. I know dad at the time was an extreme advocate as well. And he would tell somebody how the cow ate the cabbage right along with you. He saw the effects of it. He knew that there was no way I was faking because it devastated my life on such a level. I mean, I'm so limited in what I could do. Yeah. We we tried, <laughs> it's funny now, but I mean, we tried a waterbed. We tried the sleep number. We tried all these different things. Finally, a hospital bed. And that's what I sleep into this day because I can adjust it and take the pressure off my lower back. It helps. I just think that how how frustrating, how hard it must be. And part of the reason that I wanted to be able to have you share your story because I think about the families, the teenagers that are riddled with chronic pain or health issues that maybe their practitioner or even their family members have relegated them to it being all in their head or or you just need to toughen up or cowboy or cowgirl up and get out of bed. And what do you mean you, you can't take a shower? I mean, I one of my best friends, one of my dear friends who has a daughter on the spectrum or in seizure disorders, their neurotypical daughter, probably three years ago, started a journey and we knew something wasn't right. Beautiful young lady, uh, just smart, sharp as a tack, and she just started having no energy and not feeling good. And in my conversations with my friend, Wynette, that I was like, you know, have you thought about looking at X, Y, and Z? And she's a very tenacious, proactive, amazing woman, amazing mom. And she'd already started looking at what possible catalyst or antecedents could be causing this issue for her daughter. And so then when we layered on some of the circumstances I had experienced with Maddie, she started looking and in their situation, their daughter, beautiful, smart, amazing, had no energy, was tired all the time, lethargic, sometimes couldn't eat, wouldn't eat. Her sleep pattern was messed up. And it ended up that because her mom persevered and continued to look for answers, she was found to have multiple aneurysms that to this day have not been addressed yet. She was found to have what's called nutcracker syndrome and um, some other health conditions that if she would have had a different parent that maybe took the advice of a professional that said, you're just being too lax or you're being this or you're being that, her daughter's life may be totally different. She may not have found the answers. And so for my dear friend, that was tenacious and driven, who is just dynamic 
it was miraculous. And so I look at their situation. I look at, at yours. I look at Maddie's. I look at, at Jake's. Jake still has autism. I can assure you. <laughs> he still has immense no struggles. And there's a level of reactivity part due to the difficulty in communicating that we're trying to address. But the other part, if I wouldn't have known what to look for with his health, part of the acting out, part of the behaviors, part of the the miscommunications was because of the health conditions. And even to this day, as we've just gone through an intense season of, of testing where he's had an upper and lower endoscopy, he's had a pill cam endoscopy. We've done a deluge of blood work that we're waiting on that he's come back diagnosed with ulcerative colitis and early onset Crohn's, which for an adult who can speak can be pretty doggone devastating. And so I look at these scenarios and these situations and I think for our children that don't have a voice or for our children that do have a voice and we often go into our parenting mode of they're just being obstinate or they're being defiant or they're being lazy or there's a a number of responses you could say and there are a number of conditions that truly could be the catalyst for it and so I'm thankful for you being here and getting to share because what I hope is that if it is a teenager that's struggling that feels unheard that they won't lose hope and they won't give up If it is a parent of a child, whether a child that doesn't have their own voice or the parent of a teenager or maybe even the spouse of an adult who is living day to day with chronic pain and chronic fatigue and they haven't found the catalyst, they haven't found the why, the stress that it can take and being a teenager, a child, who lived through the scenario as a child of having a parent with chronic health issues to then become the parent of children with various health issues that are chronic, it comes full circle. And so the thing that I keep going back to is compassion. Compassion, wisdom, discernment, and just praying for direction. I I know even now how many days I'm like, Lord, where do I turn left or right? What do I look at? You know, what's the right thing to do? What's the, and and I can tell you, I've blown it with Jake's program and yeah, well, no, even, but with his, his, his ABA program and thinking that, well, this, this is the right course. And I'm like, yes, I bless the course of action. And then dear God, three months later, I'm like, what was I thinking? Yeah. But you don't know if you don't try. You're right. And again, I think it's that hope and that relentlessness of, of not giving up. And so you, you get to the place where because now I'm thinking, gosh, I don't even know back then if they did the kyphoplasty, I think is what they call it, where when you have discs that the bone's thin or it's compressed and they, they inject a cement. I mean, there's so many different things now they there can are, do. There are. No. What I, were your options? No, I had... Um, was it just surgery at that point? What was it? I had a cuddle block. We did sclerotherapy, which was like really long needles, and they would... Now, I remember that. I remember uh, you going to the was, office. They would give me lidocaine. I did Lamaze breathing because they would shove the needle in up on your spine. I'd get between 18 and 30 
every Thursday. I did it for a year and a half because it was very expensive. But And, of course, it was alternative, so insurance didn't pay for it. But I just wanted to be healthy, just wanted it to go away, you know, the pain. Anyway, they shove this needle up almost all the way. And then as they pull it out, they inject it. It felt like acid. And after about 18 or 30 times of that, man, you know, then then it would take me pretty much a week, and I was still working. I uh, dropped it down to three days a week, Monday through Wednesday, because there was no way on the day of and the day after. There was absolutely no way. And so we just kept trying. It didn't work. There were so many different things. She did acupuncture. And when we first started you had to buy a PDR, Physician's Desk Reference, to find out about anything. Google wasn't, I love Google, thank you God for Google, but it was hard to get information about medications, about because the doctors, they didn't know. They really didn't know. So it was a struggle, and it was years and years of trying and trying and trying what really sold us on the um, doing natural was when it dealt with my bladder disease. Sadly, there aren't a whole lot of natural things that help with pain. So now you can get CBD oil. Uh, that wasn't available back then. So it, it was just a struggle trying to. We went and we didn't do anything, any alternative treatment that the success rate wasn't 85% or more. And, you know, I just kept falling into the wrong group. It just didn't work, didn't work, didn't work. So and, at what point did you end up getting your back fused? Oh, man, I don't remember exactly. I don't because that was before I had my thyroid taken out because the doctor thought I had cancer, so he took it out. Didn't have cancer, no thyroid now, taking thyroid medicine. But overall... I don't remember year-wise, but it didn't take away the problem. It didn't. And that was a long process. You know, I had to wear this corset for a year. It was yucky. But it was the hope of, this is it. It's going to be worth it. We'll suffer through it. I tried to keep a good attitude because what are you going to do? There's hope. The thing you haven't mentioned, or you mentioned briefly when we were talking about the different uh, strips and and bandages, but in the midst of all of this with the interstitial cystitis and the implantation of the TENS-like device and the, the back surgeries, in the midst of all this, we have the moment where they think you have breast cancer. Yeah. I had fibrocystic tissue and it was so sore I couldn't hardly move my arms and, um, that was in, I know when that was. I remember that. What year was that? In 1986 is when they did the subcutaneous mastectomy and reconstruction. But I had a whole bunch of biopsies before then because they said the problem with that tissue is it hides cancer cells. So um, we kept doing biopsies and the doctor said, you know, this is crazy because it was like, seemed like every time I turned around, it was back and, and I was all swollen, couldn't move my arms because it, it hurt so bad. It's hard to wear a bra because it hurts so bad. Everything, you know, just made it like fire. And my doctor said, I'm going to send you to a plastic surgeon. And he looked at me and he said, 
what they did back then was they scraped out 96% of your breast tissue. And I was just going to get that done. He said, no, you really, you'll be happier if you get a reconstruction. And so I was like, "Mm," you know, but I went ahead and did it. And after the surgery, they put this foam tape across your chest. And what they do that's really painful, they raise the muscle off your chest and put it over the implant. So, you know, for years it felt like that muscle was turned upside down. I know it wasn't, but anyway, and then when the doctor was taking the foam off, um, he said, if you just sit still, this would be easier. And I said, let me put it on you and rip it off of you. And it'd been itching and hurting. And when he ripped it off, about a quarter size piece of my meat came off with it. And he looked at me and I, man, I, mm, I did want to cold cock him that day. I did. He, great doctor, but it's like, he'd never had that. So how would he know? The whole thing is, if you've never worn the shoes of that person and you don't have their symptoms, how do you know? You don't. So with the tape, you were saying that it literally pulled meat off. And I guess that's the thing that when you look at interventions, you just can't assume that everything is benign. And that's one of the things that I've been trying to emphasize for people. Again, not to be looking for problems, but to be mindful, especially when you're dealing with children or adults who don't have a voice of their own or have difficulty communicating. When you're dealing with maybe a situation, a loved one, that has had chronic issues you just you you honestly can't take for granted i guess that's the thing is that you just because you you and you responded okay to something doesn't mean that the three other people next door will or that the same thing you've done for a long long time has been fine and in that same trip to the hospital they were giving me penicillin, and um, and what was that for? Why were they giving the because penicillin? of the hole in my heart? They wanted to be sure that there was no chance of any infection. Everything okay. is to protect my heart because okay. if I get an infection, it can go into my heart and be okay. deadly. So, um, anyway, so they're doing this prophylactically. Yes, to yes. prevent. I had no infection, okay. but my whole life it was always penicillin. I took. Lots of it. And I think, didn't I, I recall that even for you before your dental procedures? Absolutely. I, they would not touch me unless I had um, antibiotics ahead of time. So when I was in for the, uh, the breast surgery, a nurse came in and, um, and I said, you know, because I'm, I'm proactive enough to know, okay, what is that? She said penicillin. And as soon as she put it to the IV and I felt it hit my vein, I went, my hand is numb. It it doesn't feel right. And I started to panic because I could tell something was wrong. And she said, no, 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 you're all right. And then the next thing I hear is she's coming back. And all these people were around my bed. So after that, there was no penicillin for me. And I'd had penicillin my whole life Mm. because they didn't have anything else. Even with heart catheterizations, I had two of those done before 1959 and at the Minneapolis St. Paul Heart Hospital. You know, and back then, I didn't know it. I did some research, and a medical student came up with the idea. So it was cutting edge at the time, and he put, he did it to himself and walked himself to the radiation department, and I was like, oh, no. But so when we were little, they would have us lay on a table, 
and they would put a cloth between what we could see and where they were going to work on our arm and give us a sucker. Well, what kid isn't happy with a sucker? And they would say, little stick. They did it. And I had two of those. No big deal. It really wasn't a big deal. The one I really didn't like was as an adult when they went through the groin. I said, put me to sleep. Why can't you just do my arm? You know, give me a sucker. Here, just, <laughs> you know, put a little put a little curtain up. I'm good. But for whatever reason, they don't do it that way now. But That's funny. Anyway, so, yeah, it was funny. So basically, what, what did they determine when you had that situation with penicillin? That, um, that I was allergic and I should never take it again. But it, but that was in the vein. I mean, you know, it's a little bit different when you're taking the pills, but they said, just don't take a chance. So I have a whole list of things that I cannot take that, that I react negatively to. And so I, that was added to it. You know, it was just scary because I could tell something was terribly wrong. And I'm sure the nurses, they hear a lot of people complain, oh, yeah. And, and when they put medication in your IV, it can be burn or whatever. And I'm sure that they're used to that. But I, I knew something was wrong. And then I was just gone. It was scary. But, hey, you know, God wasn't done with me yet. So he said, nope, nope, nope. You, you're staying. Well, and on that note, we will close with this episode. <laughs> um, this has been amazing. And I hope that the listeners that hear this episode will be encouraged and we are going to come back with our next episode and we're going to talk about what the journey looked like so you've gone from health issues misdiagnosis of rheumatoid arthritis as a child you've ended up with having a radical mastectomy and implants and reactions to antibiotics and interstitial cystitis and and finding relief for that and trying to mitigate your back pain with having back surgeries and the sclera treatments. And so this journey is, is, is just mind-blowing. You know, as I, I recall the different periods in my life and knowing how it affected me, I remember how it affected you. And it is miraculous. And you're right. God, God was not Mm-mm. done with you. And so we are going to have you back to share the next phase because the next phase is something that is so relevant to so many people today in moving forward to being in pain, trying multiple interventions, and finding yourself coming back full circle to allopathic and traditional medicine and being left with the pain meds. And how those pain meds and searching for help and hope ended up wreaking havoc. And thankfully, you are one of the people that was able to to work through, to take your life back, to have your mind, your faculties back about you. And it is nothing short of miraculous to see that. And so I hope that our listeners will will come back and hear your journey because right now this is so relevant to so many families, to so many people. And um, and I just appreciate you sharing from your heart the, the circumstances and the experiences that you've gone through because I know that there's someone out there, that there are multiple people that need to hear this message of never giving up. 
I've always been really private about my story um, because it is very personal. But if it can help one person to have hope to to listen to their child or even when everybody tells you it's all in your head, you know that that's not true. Don't doubt yourself. Hang in there. You never know what God has around the corner for you. There was a time I was ready to give up, and I just thank God every day he wouldn't allow me to give up. Yeah, and I think that what I hope, too, like I know that I have listeners of many different belief systems and faith. Whatever you're calling it for you, the takeaway is that you don't let go, no. that you stand firm. Even when you're crumbling and all you see is disaster around you and you you just can't give up, you cannot. Um, you just have to know that you just keep going. And certainly it's not happy, happy for everybody, but if you don't keep going, you don't know what's on the other side. It's like standing in front of a door and saying, I'm scared to open it. I don't know what's on the other side. None of us know what's on the other side. You just have to keep trying. They're coming up with so many amazing things now and new treatments. You never know when you are going to find the one thing that makes a huge difference in your life or maybe maybe enough so that you can function. So you can feel like you have a life. Maybe it doesn't go away completely, but you have control of your life again. So hang in there. Well, I appreciate your time, and I cannot wait to do part two of this ongoing series because um, we know that there are going to be a lot of people that are going to be moved and inspired and encouraged by your story. I hope so. I hope they don't give up. Yes. So... Thank you today for tuning in to Connected with Micah Bradford. If you enjoyed this episode, please look us up on Facebook, like our page, take a look on Instagram, Twitter, uh, follow us and give us some feedback because we're here to provide hope and inspiration to help you move forward in everything you do. Have a great afternoon.